we've now made it to the 2023 market outlook, and we're going to start first with the United States. The question of the hour, maybe of the month or the year is, is inflation dead yet? Short answer, not even close. Now granted, we've had a contraction in energy prices. You may not have seen it in your utility bills, but you'll see it at the gas station. But on the opposite end of that spectrum, we have a very strong job market. And again, this is good news. The last report that we had on Friday, January the 6th, showed that the United States added 223,000 new jobs in the month of December, which was above the estimate, which was about 200,000 jobs. And unemployment went down from 3.7% to 3.5%. Again, all good stuff. Plus, hourly wages on the whole went higher. But when we're talking about inflation, higher wages and more workers does not make inflation go down. In fact, they're basically supportive. The Fed knows this, and that's why they stand, Jay Powell and everybody at the Fed stands at the ready to continue the painful rate hikes if they see needed. Now, keep in mind that on Thursday of this week, January 12th, Early in the morning, we're going to get the first real look at inflation gauges, and it comes out with the Consumer Price Index, which is CPI. The CPI is kind of the go-to standard, but the Fed itself uses another one, which is personal consumption expenditure, but that's later in the month. In fact, why don't we take a look now at the monthly schedule? This isn't something that we normally do in the monthly market mixes, as I'm getting you, the listener, hopefully a black student or a new black student, to look more at what you need to do to build your knowledge base, I'm going to start bringing some of the economic news to your front door, and here we are. The list that we have up are the most important dates and economic reports for this month. And what makes them important? For the U.S.'s perspective, and that's all I have listed here is the United States. That will change in some of the subsequent monthly market mixes. But for now, in the U.S., inflation is the one thing that everybody can at least agree on has the market in a headlock. And so we have three more major reports among all the other ones that are anywhere from super important to semi-important. But three major reports, the first one, January 12th, the CPI comes out. We're looking for a fall in CPI. The last reading we had was 7.1%. We're looking for it to come down to 6.5%. 65 would be really cool. And I do mean actually cool. It means that the rate of inflation would be slowing down because we were up near double digits last summer in 2022. So if inflation starts to show on the consumer price level, that is lowering, it keeps Jay Powell and the Fed at bay from raising rates, which they have a meeting in just a few weeks. So the next thing would be from the producer's perspective, and that's the PPI, the producer's price index. It shows how the goods and services come to you and what the prices have changed by in terms of, well, in inflationary terms. That's on Wednesday, 
January the 18th. If you notice, most of these reports are actually earlier than the market is open. These times are actually in central, central standard. So if you're on the East Coast, you know, just translate plus one and adjust as needed elsewhere. But these reports come out before the market opened. And I say that again to make you more aware. These are called risk events to us who are engaged in not just investing, but trading, the art that is trading. And I have some videos out on YouTube that you can watch on how to trade some of these news events. Now, I'm not talking trading like whatever we were doing or whatever you were doing in 2020 through 2022. That's not what we're here for. But for our black students, getting the skill sets, getting the tools and the mindset, these risk events provide opportunities to take advantage of the market data, to take advantage of the patterns and structures that we see. But here's the thing. At 7.30, you can't take advantage of the stock market here. You have to play something else. We'll talk a little bit more about this, but there are some other markets that give you exposure to this stock-related news, even though you don't have to necessarily play stocks. In fact, you can't. Stock market doesn't open for another hour or so. So January 12th, January 18th, and Friday, January 27th, you're going to get CPI, core PPI, retail sales, which kind of it sneaks in there as well, and the core PCE. Remember, PCE is the Fed's preferred indicator of inflation. It typically runs a little bit lower than CPI, but that's just because of what it measures. Ideally, the Fed would love to get PCE back to 2%. I can tell you the last reading I saw was like 6.4, We're a long way from that. Now, stepping out just a bit from the United States, I want to talk a little bit more before about inflation before we leave it alone entirely. And here's to show kind of a dot plot, if you will, of where we are in our current inflation situation as measured by research affiliates and what they expect in the next 10 years. Now, I must caveat this and say that in true financial speak, 10-year estimates are really just guesstimates, 120 months. All you have to do is go back 120 months and think about what you were thinking about and what you thought was happening. I'm still miffed about the fact that we don't have flying cars in 2023 but that's outside the scope of this monthly market mix. Be that as it is, 10 years into the future, 2033, they're expecting, based on all of the fancy math that all of the economics geeks do, they're expecting inflation to be lowered in the United States, but also a lot of the developed regions. I'm showing here the United States, the UK, Switzerland, Sweden, Japan, the entire Eurozone, Canada, and Australia. One thing that I find interesting, and I'm ex I don't exactly know why just yet, it's early in the year, I haven't gotten all my data straight, as to why Australia and Canada, which are very commodity-heavy economies, they export and import a lot of commodities to, again, other countries like the United States and China, their inflation levels didn't get nearly as high as some of the more developed regions like the Eurozone, Sweden, and the United States and the United Kingdom. Now, the United Kingdom, had, being an island nation, uh, being a heavy importer of lots of different things, 
I would expect that inflation would get high. Inflation was high here too because of 20 years of stimulus on top of two years of unprecedented stimulus and a lot of consumer demand that still stays in the system, still there. And part of that is because a lot of people are still working, still have jobs. The economy is still pretty hot. Well, in 10 years, we should be looking at less inflation. We won't be to the levels where we were 10 years ago. No. So we won't be back to the easy money 2010s, but we'll be back towards something that is more normal. If you look at historically speaking, you can look at inflation running anywhere from 2 to 2, 2.3%, maybe, maybe 3%, depending on your time period. But this average across the developed world here should be about 3%. Well, for most of these countries, that's less than half of where it is now. So in the long term, and I bring this up again, we should get back to an environment that is actually more supportive of your long-term equity plays, your long-term stocks, your long-term bonds. In fact, again, as much as I trashed bonds earlier, still it was absurd, bonds don't need to take an exit from your portfolio. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that they don't need to be solely relied on as protection against the uncertainties of the world ahead, because I can tell you the world in front of us is probably a lot more uncertain than the history that we can conveniently look back at in hindsight. So as we're going forward, inflation is high. It's still going to be up and stuff. But at the same time, the further we go out, the more we're probably going to move towards a more normal level. And that's going to be good for the assets that need to appreciate over time, like your stocks. Now, taking it a little bit home in a tongue-in-cheek manner, one of the things where you can see inflation for not necessarily the same reasons that we're talking about, about interest rates hike, is chickens and eggs, particularly eggs. If you've been to the grocery store in the last month or two, you've probably seen the price of eggs skyrocket. This is something that went under the radar for me, and I tend to watch for lots of different things, but there was a deadly avian flu that hit the U.S. market for turkeys, chickens at the beginning of 2022. And about 60 million birds died because of the disease. Here we are with, you know, all the other coronaviruses and, you know, influenza. You know, a smorgasbord of trouble for us and humans. You saw that hit a food supply. And it affected the price that we saw. About 72% of the chickens that were, that were dying were actually egg laying. So what that did was that created a supply problem. Well, like I told you, with people still working and people still eating, demand was already there. And so with that supply shrunk, the demand increased. And so what happens in markets? Well, the price of eggs shot up. Now, I bring that to the forefront. Again, just to show you some of the other sides of the market, also to show you some of the other research that I do in the beginning of the year. I left the charts off. I'm not bringing the charts on this one. We can get it in some of the later monthly market mixes, but I like to ideate across the breadth of the market to think about not just the risk or not just the opportunities that are there in the financial markets, but oftentimes risk is what you don't see. What you don't see is an avian flu that hit 
early last year that I didn't find out about until a few weeks ago. Actually, a few days ago. But things like biological threats, climate, war, politics, these are external factors that can affect you, your markets, your portfolio, and your livelihood. And this is why I say we need to reset and rebuild, not just in the stocks and portfolios and things of that nature, but also our mindset. Part of being financially responsible is to understand that there are things outside of your scope, no matter how broad your scope, no matter how smart you think you are, no matter how smart I think I am, things that sit just outside of our view that can damage us or on the flip could be opportunities to set us ahead. Looking at chickens and eggs and looking at dairy at large is another way to look at an indicator of how the economy is going, how inflation goes, and how external factors can affect the pricing. Going on with the dairy theme that we have, and again, this is why I call this dairy high prices, it wasn't just eggs. Another thing that was leading into 2022 that I did know about was the fact that we had price inelasticity, supposedly, in milk. Milk is supposed to be one of those things that is pretty solid around the board. It doesn't, even inflation goes up, it shouldn't adjust the prices as well. In fact, I look at some of the milk future prices. They didn't move as much as I thought they should have. But we still, if you look at the price of gallons of milk, they're up a lot in 2021, and they're still up in 2022 even with some of the things that were supposed to be keeping them steady, they were not. Some of it was a number of cows. Some of it was the production. A lot of that sort of stuff was off. And so this was another side. This was the supply side giving us some grief. And again, it's always, we talk about supply and demand. I don't like the construct side of a very simplistic thing, but to talk about it, sometimes you have things that create demand or you know, excite demand, but a lot of times you have supply issues. And we had that in milk. Looking around the market again, I found a consumer awareness group called Milk Pig that basically did a study to find out where milk was the highest and where milk was the cheapest. And it was not exactly at all what I thought it was, but it just goes to show economic factors outside of what you might think that influence the world around you. And what they looked at was a great value, whole vitamin D milk by the gallon, what the cost was. And they used this as a baseline. They also used the cost of living index for all the states to see based on how much that great value, whole vitamin D milk was at Walmart was selling in each of the respective states. Hawaii, I got that one right. I figured Hawaii would be the most expensive, but I was thinking like for the most inexpensive, it would have been somewhere in the Midwest. It would have been somewhere in the milk producing country. Well, I was kind of off on milk producing country anyway, but I was thinking Wisconsin, maybe Minnesota, somewhere in that area, somewhere. But it turns out states near milk production centers did have on average the lowest cost, but the lowest of the low was actually Georgia. The bang for the buck for getting milk in Georgia, and I guess by extension, some part of living in Georgia has to reflect a lower cost of living relative to everywhere else. And you can see this not by looking at a lot of economic data. I never would have you know, guessed this, 
but you can look at it just based on the price of milk. Very interesting, at least to me, and it's data that you can use to go forth, not just for buying your, your milk, but understanding the world around you. And in fact, I moved a little bit further to look and say, well, I thought it was Wisconsin and I was close, but turns out the top 10 in milk, number one was California. Again, probably should have known that because the square area that's used for farmland in California is among the largest in the United States. But there are other states on here as well that I did not guess, like New Mexico, New York. And if you go back to the chart, you can see that New York has one of the highest, we know this, has one of the highest costs of living, but relative to buying a gallon of milk, it's pretty cheap in New York. Go figure. But here we have the top 10, and you can see that the price of gallons of milk relative to every one of these places, even California, which has a very high cost of living index, milk was moderately inexpensive there as well. So enough about birds, enough about cows and milk. Let's move on to the other regions. I want to take some time now to talk about something we've talked about in the last monthly market mixes, which again, is a European energy crisis. Europe had an energy problem before 2022, but the Russo-Ukraine war exacerbated a lot of their issues. It, like some of the portfolios, it exposed some of the weaknesses and brought it to bear. Into 2023, even though winter wasn't as bad or hasn't been as bad yet as what they were thinking, Russia still remains a critical risk to most of Europe. And you can see, based on this neat chart that I found, you can see the natural gas pipelines, liquefied natural gas coming out of Russia and seeing where it affects. One thing I saw on TV today was that Germany, which again is a powerhouse, economic powerhouse, and an anchor for not only Western Europe, but the Euro Eurozone at a whole, Eurozone, European Union, they're one of the, yeah, they're, they're top, they're an all-star, but they're trying to strike a deal with Kazakhstan so that they can be less reliant on Russian energy. Russia, again, has been cooking in terms of how they've been able to negotiate. They have all the cards, they have the table, they have the house, they have everything with respect to this energy crisis. And so it is forcing Europe's hand to be more united because one of the things about Russia being able to supply not just Europe, they're also looking to supply China if that opportunity arises. Now, China has some of its own issues, which we'll get into in a second, which may prohibit Russia from actually making this play. But if China's economy starts getting back on track, which it has not been for months, you can look out because there's only a limited supply. There's only a finite supply of liquid natural gas that comes out of Russia, even though they supply lots of it. They get it from a lot of different places. Europe would have to compete with China and maybe a few other regions. And so that's going to make that a much more tenuous situation going forward. Now, strangely enough, even as dire as that sounds, if you're looking at the MSCI Europe index, which basically is an index of the Eurozone and its equity markets, it was actually outperforming the S&P 500 
in the early stages of 2023, and honestly, from about September of 2022. I also saw this looking at the German stock market index, the DAX, the same sort of deal. So as we look at the opportunities out here, even though the situation in Europe still has real and present risks that we, that we just talked about, there may be some upside here as we look at the charts, and I'm a chart technician, although you won't see many charts today, that these charts sort of indicate that the Eurozone may have some upside or may be engaged in being some upside. And the reason might be simple. Russia may change its stance against the Ukraine. It's not likely, but it's one of those things that can happen. And what that does, that takes some of the chokehold off of the energy solution and starts trade in the region again and starts just a lot of people resettling their nerves. Because again, if you go back to where we were this time last year, or maybe a, almost, almost there, everybody was on edge talking about a much larger escalation that could involve more countries. And that's never good. Well, we're again, almost a year into it. That seems less likely, at least from an investor standpoint and Europe and the investors in the Eurozone maybe taking it that way. Also, Europe is pretty much in a recession, just like the United States is probably in a recession as, too, as well. But given the sentiment that's shown in the MSCI EMU index, the recession may be perceived as being mild. A mild recession? You know, again, as we talked about it, a growth recession, which is what the Fed is aiming for, that may be a good thing. They may actually stick the landing like a gymnast, like an Olympic gymnast. Again, not likely, but if that's the case, there's upside in that European equity markets, which means European stocks may be something that you can invest in. Again, it's outside of your own stock markets. It's going to have similar risks, but it's also going to have some characteristics that are not. There may be more upside here than domestically. It's something worth looking into, at least for a portion of your portfolio. The other thing, just like the recession, winter temperatures may not turn out to be as severe as planned. This will be a win-win for a lot of situations, but hopefully Europe, just like the rest of the world, is starting to get more towards a greening solution to fight changes in climate and to honestly get out the dependency of harmful fuels and some of the dependencies that they have with countries that may not be in their best interest. So there's a lot to look forward to in Europe in terms of doing your research as to what they're doing. Think energy, think equities, and think some of the other things that we talked about, like climate. Think different trading partners. All of these things open up different opportunities. And again, this is not that far away from home. Now, I could have gone a lot of different ways in Asia, but I thought it was more apropos to look at the second largest economy in the world. That's China. China is itself in a tough position and has been through 2022. I remember doing the very first monthly market mix in April, looking at the Shanghai index, looking at the composite and thinking, nah, everything else at the time looked like it was going to be at least somewhat positive. China was already pushing lower in April of 2022. Well, actually, yeah, April of 2022. So if you look at their uh, production managers index, the PMI, 
the Shaxing PMI, it's under 50. And one thing, this is for those that are taking notes, any PMI reading under 50 shows recession or you say not growth in their manufacturing segment of their economy. So the Shaxing uh, index has been under 50 in China for the last five consecutive months. Plus, plus, they have COVID lockdowns. They have a zero COVID thing that's going on. It brings a lot of civil unrest out. Uh, even in the mainland of China, there have been all sorts of reports of how many people are sick or even worse. Not getting into that necessarily, but it just shows that there's a triad or trio of risks that are hidden in China. Also, high energy prices for liquid natural gas. Even if the economy is starting to pick up, because the, again, the limited supply, who the supplier is, who's holding the cards, as their behemoth economy starts to wake up and revive itself, they're going to have to pay premium prices because they weren't able to lock in prices. It didn't make sense with their economy slowing down. So as demand picks up, it may be a little bit uneven. So if you're looking into Asia, if you're looking to Asian equity markets, if you're looking into Asian currencies, things of that nature, make sure that you pay attention to China. And when I say Asia, make sure that you don't miss Australia and New Zealand. Both of those, just like Canada, are manufacturing and commodity-heavy markets, commodity-heavy economies, and both of them are heavy trading partners with China. So China's slowdown doesn't just affect China. With China being so large, it affects lots of other regions that may seem to have opportunities, but may also have embedded risks. Now, moving south and also back west, the thing that sticks out in the Americas, not named the United States or Canada or Mexico for that regard, is South America. Two of the most important countries for foreign investment, which are namely Brazil and Peru, both have similar problems. I say country C, country do. If you're where I'm from, you already know what that actually means. But just like the January 6th clown show insurrection that we had in the United States, we had supporters of Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, who used to be the president. He was oftentimes compared to President Trump and his followers seem to follow suit. They've stormed the National Congress, the Palacio do Planalto, and the Supreme Court building. They stormed these buildings. They've tried to take over. They're trying to put him back in charge. He, of course, has denounced it and that sort of thing, but it's a problem. Lots of people have been hurt or worse, and it seems to be no end to it. In Peru, you had a president, a then-president, Pedro Castillo, who tried to attempt a coup. The coup led people into the street, and again, you've had a lot of chaos. Now, you may be saying, what does Brazil and Peru have to do with the world markets? 21st century, 2023, the markets are very interconnected. I mentioned it earlier. These are two of the foremost and premier countries in terms of foreign direct investment. Foreign direct investment is literally putting the cash where it counts the most, which is in countries and develop companies and developments within these foreign countries. 
Brazil itself counts for about 30% of all of South America's foreign direct investment in 2020. I haven't gotten the numbers on the last two years, but I assume they would be about the same. Peru, another 10%. So you count both of those, you have a significant portion of FDI. Now, you may hear different things about FDI. This may have been your first time hearing about it, but a lot of economic heads see that the direct investment into the countries is most beneficial than other foreign capital flows like getting loans or from, from different countries or even private entities or the IMF, because you can see where the loan situation can get to be predatory, whereas this can be, not always, but foreign direct investments can set up win-wins for both the domestic and the foreign entities. When you have this sort of growth, what spawns out, this, out of this is secondary types of investments, passive investments. You will have funds that are U.S.-based or maybe European-based or somewhere else-based that allow for investors from those regions to invest in Brazil, Peru. Colombia is another one of the countries that in South America have a lot of FDI projects. When you have this type of uh, development, you have a lot more trade. It facilitates a lot of growth. And also that type of growth has investment opportunity that you can source in your portfolio. And that's why I bring it up. Again, these are areas where you can invest in the equities, you can invest in the debt or the bonds in the, in the regions. You just have to do more research and think more outside of the box and also some of the connective tissue. What does it all mean? But I bring the risk to you at front, up on Front Street. When you have this type of insurrection, when you have you know, places that don't have stable governments, you know, and again, the United States at one point looked like we were headed that way ourselves. Uh, this is not to necessarily single anybody out. It's something that puts the brakes on investors because these are risks that they can see and will be skittish about. But if some of this starts to subside, you'll start to see probably the same type of growth come back into these markets. Now, these are not mature markets. These are considered to be emerging markets. They're on the verge of breaking out to be powerhouses. Brazil itself is an economic powerhouse but not necessarily on the level of United States or China or Germany. But if you look at it, it's part of the G20, just not part of the G7. But it's a lot of the countries that were in the G7 now, that are in G7 now, were part of the G20 years ago. That type of long-term thinking is what you should do as you're starting to rebuild your portfolio. Now, lastly, I wanted to get into this part because I've mentioned it earlier that energy is one of the key things that ran the markets in 2022. Moving forward, green energy and its many incantations is one of the things that is going to influence 2023 and the decades to follow. The International Energy Agency IEA expects a sevenfold increase in the market size for what's called green metals. The metals themselves, of course, are not necessarily green, but cobalt, copper, and nickel in particular. You can also add in there lithium, aluminum to some degree. These are the metals and rare earth elements. There's also iridium, vanadium that drive the technology that's going to drive renewable energy electric vehicles, they already drive our telecommunications and electronic devices. And the main thing that you need to pay attention to here, there's finite 
limits to the resources of these metals. That's what makes them rare earth or what makes them, you know, valuable uh, other than what they can do. But there's also an uneven global distribution. And that's a big factor. What I mean by big factor, one of the things that is not talked about much in the West is the level of resources that are available and up for grabs in a lot of sense. And I do mean in good sense and also in bad sense in the entirety of the country, the continent of Africa and all 54 countries, also in South America as well. Cobalt, for example, and coltan are almost exclusively one of the premier exports of the Congo. You can look and see on the chart that we have here, Congo outstrips Russia and Australia by, by multitudes. And so that puts the Congo on the map. That puts all the industries, all the companies that deal with the Congo, good and probably mostly bad from the West, on Front Street as to seeing what you can do. Also look for emerging companies that are looking to go into these companies that go into the, this country as well. But for these regions, Chile, we already just talked about Peru and foreign direct investment. China, 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 you see a lot of China, but I also see Mexico, Indonesia, and the Philippines. These are areas where you should start studying their markets, their politics, who their trading partners are. Study of this will let you know what types of opportunities exist because one thing for certain, as we go forward, the use of these minerals is going to multiply. Clean energy technologies, as it's called, is expected to fill up somewhere on the low end between 74% and on the high end, 92% of the global demand for lithium. Lithium's a big component of batteries. I guess you say rechargeable batteries. By 2040, you can see where we are for lithium right now. By 30%, it goes all the way up, more than doubles, maybe triples. Who has control of the trade routes? Who has controls of the politics? Who has control of the inside relationships that make these things go? Those are the companies, those are the opportunities that you have to align with. Those are the things you have to think about now. And the, as the opportunities arise, you'll know how to deal with them because you have some requisite context as to how it works and also how it won't work. The same thing goes for nickel. You can see that anywhere between 40 and 70% of all the extracted cobalt and nickel are going to be gone towards energy goals by 2040. 2040 seems long time away from an investor's mindset. That's nowhere. So as we round the markets around the world, we've talked about energy. We've talked about foodstuffs and commodities. We've talked about foreign direct investment. There's other plays outside. There could be currency trades, currency long-term holds where you hold the long-term domestic currency and play on the interest rates. Or maybe you play on the interest rates rising in some of these areas as they fall in the United States. That creates interesting dynamics for bonds as well. We talk about all of these things at Black's Academy, not just the trading, but the trading is part of it. And we'll talk a little bit more about trading in our next segment. 
but for the investing mind, the mindset should be expansive such that you work down these channels so that you understand the elements that make things fit together. The more you do this, the better your chances are of creating a portfolio of value now and into the future. And that brings me to the theme. Three things. If you haven't heard anything, you skip to this part, listen. Our primary goal in 2023 should be to rebuild your portfolio. If it was great in 2022, great. But chances are the conditions that existed in 2022 that helped you may not be there in 2023, or at least you need to adjust for new things. If you were ransacked in 2022, you know you need to change some things around. Replay the elements that we talked about, that we talked about these world markets, that we talked about domestically. Think commodities, think basic materials. Think of how these things link together to make the electric vehicles that you love, like the Tesla or like the Audi or like the Porsche for me. As you think about these component levels, you'll start to see more opportunities that may come along and you may be one of the first ones to see them. That's a good thing. The next thing, whether inflation stays where it is, whether we accelerate up, one of the things 2022 should have shown you is that money has become more expensive. It will stay that way. Ask any private equity investor right now. They're much more skittish about any ideas. You should be as well. Cash is not king by itself sitting alone, but the flow, cash flow is king. You can't invest if you don't have enough money to put towards it. Ask anybody, a trader who was on it, who blew his, his or her account. If they don't have enough money to come back, they've got to go find it from somewhere. Make sure you're not in the situation where opportunity arises and you don't have the capital to get to it. That's regressive. So if you're going to be a good investor, if you're going to be a trader, if you're going to be a mindset changing world thinker, start with the basics. And this rebuild is to make sure you watch your cash flows. Everybody can improve a little bit, but make sure you plan and allocate for the unseen. Changes in weather, your insurance company, I assure you, is calculating up ways to make sure that they stay ahead of changes in the weather, changes in the unforeseen. You should too. Also, lastly, investing in value comes over to continuing education. I mean, that's why Blacks Academy exists. We're here to help you expand your education journey in the world of finance and even beyond. I think a lot of people need to reset and unlearn a lot of things they've learned. For example, in this next segment, I'm going to go hard at something called the 60-40. Some of you know what the 60-40 portfolio is. If you've looked at your long-term 401k or your IRAs that were set up on the traditional path, you know in 2022, the 60-40 did not work. Some people will say that's a one-off thing. I don't care. Part of the unlearning that we're going to get into in our next technical segment is why you have to unlearn these things that are considered to be salient, these things that were always, always been that way. Always been that way will keep you always behind. At Blacks Academy, we want you to always be able to move forward. 
and you do that by edu by education. We'll show you more of the world than you've ever seen in the world of finance, economics, and putting it all together to where you can invest, save, and move higher. So as you're investing, think about spending some time with us. Also, 101, back to the basics. Value investing is not dead. The reason why I talked about Warren Buffett for almost 20 minutes is you've seen, at least in theory, of how it's done over a very long period of time. His money makes money on top of money. You can't tell me that a 92-year-old man is actually working. No, Buffett reads, and he makes funny little quips. But he is also a master of his craft, which he has honed over a very long period of time. I implore you to do the same. That's my personal mission in life, to become a master of this. And again, we welcome you to Blacks Academy to join me on my journey. and. Hopefully, you'll start your journey. And lastly, in terms of investing goals, consider alternative investments. Alternative investments, real short, it's pretty much anything that's not a stock or a bond. What's more is that your neighbor, or your cousin, or one of your friends, chances are they're actually interested in alternative investments. One of the ones right off the bat, it's a no-brainer, real estate. I talk to more people who are more interested in real estate than not. A lot of them become agents and brokers. That's great. There's tons of routes and avenues in which you can look into the real estate market other than your primary residence, other than just buying a home to live in. That's not exactly what I'm talking about here. But real estate as a collector of rents, as an appreciation, asset appreciation over time. There's lots of creative things you can do in the space, short-term rentals, long-term rentals, commercial. There's an entire world there. Learn a little bit more about it. We have some real estate experts at Blacks Academy. Some of our affiliates do this for a living as well. Of course, aside of real estate, you have my heart and soul, which is commodities. We've talked about commodities for most of this segment. I'm going to continue the theme of commodities because they are that important. If you strip away the top end of your business, you have to have basic tools, basic building materials, basic resources to make things go. We learned this the hard way in 2020 when a lot of that stuff shut down. Commodities for a lot of the risks that we're talking about become opportunities. In 2022, when the equity markets failed, when inflation shot up, commodity prices shot up, as, shot up as well. The reason is there is a relationship, an implied linear relationship with commodities and inflation. If you didn't know that, welcome to Black's Academy. As inflation goes up, at least at the onset, commodity prices go up. And it makes sense because, again, you're paying more for these raw goods, just like you are for the produced goods, for the refined things. There are so many commodity markets out there. There, again, the food, agriculture, salt, energy, we've talked about, all the way to exotic things, but we don't have to get that far. Now, cryptocurrencies, again, I won't besmirch crypto anymore, but I know the interest is there. There are a lot of people burned. Crypto is what I call a naive market at this point in time. It's very early. 
many markets start out as naive. Commodities started as a naive market. It just so happened to be thousands of years ago. Crypto is at a very early stage. As you invest there, again, I'm advocating for thoughtfulness, not just hype, not just what it could be. Think about it in a holistic sense. Because oftentimes in digital space, you find this way before crypto got here. You have what's called Moore's Law, where basically the capability and power of, you know, computing pretty much dwarfs the price structure such that something that costs $1,000 this year, six months later, it's going to be half that price. And then three more months, it's going to be half the price again. Technology has an uncanny ability to make its predecessors obsolete. I can't find another financial market or opportunity market where that's more present than in cryptocurrency because the basis of it, again, is digital. It's also technology. Also, obsolescence is a thing. So as you're thinking about future value, you can't have future value when you're also obsolete. I'll leave that. Now, art and collectibles, art is something that is very dear to my heart. Art and collectibles, it has a world of its own. Again, unique characteristics, unique risks, not suited for everybody. And that's the whole thing about alternatives. They're not suited for everybody, but that does not mean that you shouldn't take time to explore. Explore with your friends. Explore with your financial advisor who didn't tell you that the 60-40 was going to fail. Maybe you both can learn something and gain some perspective together. Again, at Black's Academy, we're here to tell you that alternatives can be part of your portfolio. We're not pushing for them to be, but the portfolio that you're that you probably have now, or the portfolio that you've been told to design is by and large incomplete. If it's not, congratulations to you. And we'd like to learn from you too. So tell us what you're doing. But for those of you who don't have direction or had the wrong direction, just know that the world of alternatives is a world that it's, not, it's just new to you. It's semi-new to me. But for investors that did really well in 2022 and are likely to do well into the future, they already have it unlocked. They've known about alternatives. They've invested in alternatives. And they push the narrative quietly about what alternatives can do among a very quiet segment of investors. But we're in the information age. A lot of this information is being made available. This Academy, we're here to make it available to you. So again, remember, we're here to rebuild. We're here to save. And we're here to unlearn a lot of the un <laughs> not useful things that kind of stick around as barriers and as hindrances more so than empowering. Thank you for your time. And our next segment gets into a very technical, special issue. But if not, we'll see you at the next monthly market mix, which I can assure you will be a lot more to the point, but also hopefully still interesting. For more information about our trading and investing courses, visit www.blacks.academy. That's B-L-A-X-E dot academy.